Hello, and welcome back to our next episode of Black Woman Voices. I am excited to be here, excited for this conversation. I am Dr. Anne Marie, and I am with my lovely co host and our fabulous guest. So I will let them. Um, introduce themselves. I'm excited for this conversation today. Um, we're talking about the burden of tokenism. Um, mm-hmm. I am excited to, to hear this conversation. So, so hey. you, you know, I'm always saying this. Yes. <laughs> the smoothness. Uh huh. And this is a doctor, Anne Marie Edwards. <laughs> <laughs> You better let them know who you are. Mm-hmm. You didn't mm-hmm. come to play. You came to play. Uh, but this is Dr. K holding it down in North Carolina. <laughs> I love it. And this is Dr. V uh, from Kansas and maybe holding it down. Maybe. <laughs> awesome. And our guest today is the fabulous. Dr. Shatina Jones. Come on. Come on in the room. <laughs> Dopeness. I'm not about to fool with y'all. Listen, <laughs> I'm just I'm just happy to be here in the room uh, with some dope sisters doing some dope things. I'm happy uh, to be in this space and have a good conversation because we're going to have a good time tonight. We're going to have a good time. You know we are. So So listen, um, I like to tell people, I like you got to keep it straight with some people. You got to, you just got to tell the people with, just tell them just, this is what it is. So I'm, I'm a, a, a little black girl from Detroit who decided to go for it. Um, if you know me, you know, I love Detroit. Um, so I want to start off by saying that um, I spent a good deal of my time, my undergraduate and my master's degree at Eastern Michigan University. And um, that was the place that, that raised me for lack of better words. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a lot of life stuff happen, um, and I was able to to grow up and be who I am um, because of my experiences at Eastern. Um, I completed my uh, dissertation, a long, long dissertation <laughs> at Indiana State University, um, and I focused on high achieving Black women in STEM at HBCUs. So I've had the privilege of working at multiple universities, private, small, religious, large, HBCUs, PWIs. I have had a very fruitful um, career, if you will, in higher ed, still employed in higher ed and still doing my thing. Um, I like to think and I, I can I can say this because I am who I am. And if you don't if you don't boost for yourself, you don't boost for anyone. I consider myself to be the Beyonce of, of student affairs because I, I does this. Um, so, yes. So, um, yeah. So just done, I've just done a lot of good things. Um, so the pandemic was pandemic in, right? And um, I decided to start a business because I was already doing stuff. 
mm-hmm. but just decided to put a name on it. So um, out of the pandemic came SM Jones Consulting because of a couple of things. Let's start with isolation. When you in isolation, you think of a whole lot of stuff, right? right. So I thought about, I was thinking about other people. I was thinking about other people because I was wondering what was going to happen to the old people. And I say old people affectionately because I love me a good old senior citizen because I have a heart for those who are elderly, right? Right. So when I was thinking about it, my first thought was, we can't go nowhere. How do you get that groceries? Like some of them don't even got like for real smartphones, right? They might have mm-hmm. a flip phone. You, they might have to rely on relatives. To do, they might have to rely on a bus to do stuff. And I remember one of my very close friends is a bank manager. And one of her biggest gripes was, we can't keep people safe because they because we just have this population that keep coming in the bank to check their what their bank accounts, right? Some mm-hmm. of us take for granted this idea of having, let's say, an iPhone. You can check you got you got everything at your f- fingertips, but there's a population that wasn't born with a computer that was not immersed in computers and did not have to use computers, right? So I was like, well, I am going to help them. It's one way or the other. I'm going to help them. So uh, part of the arm of my business is to do tech classes for those who are in a population of 45 and up, because I have a cousin also who has no idea how to turn on the computer. Like, I can tell you now that every resume that one of my cousins have, I've done them all. I've applied, mm-hmm. I've had to apply for jobs for this cousin because she didn't know. So that's one arm of my business. Another arm of my business is training um, faculty members. I have a gift. Remember, I told y'all I can, I can, I'm good with speaking to those who are severely older than me, right? Mm-hmm. So I can come at an approach um, with with everyone from all ages to help them understand things, and I meet them where they are. So I take those student affairs tenants, and then I I do it for other populations. So doing that in a way, and I have a patience to help individuals. So again, another arm, I kept thinking about my faculty members who literally still to do their grades on paper, who turn the grades in on paper. They they have a paper grade book. What happened to them during COVID? So right. I spent a great deal of time training faculty members how to, to turn on things like Blackboard, Canvas, to just even entertain the thought. And for some people, it was one-on-one sessions. So I had to do a lot of that. So I've been really taking the time to do some trainings. I also have been specializing in helping HBCUs as well throughout this time with the trainings, with the faculty development. Um, so those are kind of the highlights of that part. And I also, mm-hmm. I just launched recently a supervisory training uh, module. So um, we talk Good. about supervisors, right? We talk about supervisors in the vacuum. We all didn't had a bad supervisor, like, some of these supervisors are trash, trash, and you don't know what you're doing, right? So we talk about, again, sometimes the student affairs is what? On the job training. So mm-hmm. if you don't have access to things like professional development to go to conferences, to get yourself some mentorship and some guidance, because you don't have, let's say, $500 if you save and you do it right to attend a conference, then essentially I am one of your solutions. So my training sessions don't even cost more than $50. And that's important. That's that's essential. So you, you can get a nice three-hour session with me for $50. That's definitely, if I did the math, divide that a little bit, 
that's something crazy like $18, $20, so $20 an hour, right? So it's not necessarily to make money, but it is to educate people. We talk a lot about things and we talk a lot about what you don't have and what you do have, but let's figure out how we can get you there. So if you have a professional who doesn't have any professional development, I try to do things that will be accessible to all folks. And I throw in there a little bit of critical um, pieces also um, in talking about culture and trying to break down some of those barriers between uh, folks of color. Uh, when they get the supervisees, so at my lunch and I talked about, um, I brought on in the room as we started talking about come on in the room, I brought on in the room talking about, you don't need to know somebody to supervise them. You don't need to know their personal business to know that you can work with them um, and break it down what that is and um, how these are um, oppressive behaviors. So that's that. Um, and I love it. I love being in business. I love being a higher ed. I, I'm not going to it. Um, I love it. And I'm happy to be here with y'all. Dopeness. <laughs> the bomb. Literally. And, and, and could talk about it and like all of it. Listen That's to right. our last week's episode and, and talking about how to sell yourself and understand your brand. She knew the, understood the assignment. Right. That part. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. So I'll let somebody else start. I'm trying to gather my thoughts. Gather <laughs> <laughs> my thoughts. So you know, for the the conversation is around the burdenness. Is that a word? Burdenness. Yeah, the burdenness. It is of being now. a token. And so, yeah, we made it one because we're doctors. We can do that, right? Uh, <laughs> that part. That part. You know, we're, we're all black women. We're all doctors and we have all had experience. Actually, yeah, all of us have had our education at predominantly white institutions and we have all worked, at least worked at one PWI, which tells me that in those spaces, we have somewhere been the only black person, let alone the only black in that space. And so when you think about the energy, when you think about the systemic oppression, when you think about what's going on in society in regards to Black women, and then having to show up on a campus, such as a predominantly white institution, and being the only Black woman, what feelings arise? Like, what, what is that? How does that make y'all feel? That's a good question. I I don't know if I've ever been the only Black woman on campus, um, but I've definitely been one of few. Um, I definitely have been one in my department. That's just offhand. Um, I think what I found interesting is that when I first came back into student affairs or came into student affairs, I, up to that point, I had, I was in corporate and I worked with primarily white women Mm -hmm. um, and I was heavily tokenized. When I came into higher ed, the person who hired me was a black woman. Mm -hmm. Um, And, but I I still think that there, there's a, a, a tokenizing effect of being black on the campus, right? Because inevitably I saw more black students you know, more, once they found out, it was like, you know, let me go and talk to that person. And then 
you know, I think from the department standpoint, intentionally or unintentionally, it was like, hey, we'll just send her, you know, if it was a diversity thing, oh, well, you can do this. And I'm just like, but also so can that person, um, you know, so I, right. I think <laughs> yeah. tokenizing is, it's a thing, especially at a predominantly white institution. Yeah. Um, I don't think, I'm thinking about every institution where I've worked at. I actually don't think I've ever been the only Black person on campus, but this is where I've been a couple onlys. So I've been probably like the highest ranking Black person in the department. I've been the only high ranking Black person um, on the, the central leadership team. I've had a couple of those onlys and it has, and it's been at, at uh, of course, predominantly white institutions. It's been interesting. Um, my first experience was awful. Like it was, it was tragic. Um, I had a supervisor that literally was trying to find themselves. It was an extreme, extreme, extreme with a capital E extreme people pleaser. So what happened and what emerged out of that is that person at some point wasn't doing their job would then trickle down to um, us not being able to do our job. And it became a very push pull. And of course, because you know, when people be having these racial awakenings and when people finally specifically when um, minoritized folks speak up and say, yeah, this ain't right. Um, now mm-hmm. the race problem only came when little Shatina was there because we ain't never had a race problem when you just essentially haven't realized what you were doing and or had somebody who called you out about what you were doing. So that was kind of the first kind of experience with this only one uh, situation. And then also in that particular space, that person was fixated with this friendship piece, right? So when you're the only one, at least for me, when I'm dealing specifically with white women, it becomes of, I need to be close to you. I need to be your friend. If you're not my friend, if you don't go out to the bar with me, I don't understand you. I don't know you. So I would, um, when people would say they didn't know me, it was because I ain't telling them all my business. So I would be like, oh yeah, you know my mom, you know my mom's guy, you know my sister. Is this blah, blah, blah. No, that's the surface level stuff, Shatina. We don't know you. And I'm like, I'm in here before you. I'm here after you. Please tell me what any of this has to do with my job. And right. it, you know, and other for me, that was that was my introduction to it, which did prepare me to my second one. Um, and my second one. I was able to navigate that a little bit more, my second experience, and it didn't bother me as much. And I then was like, I did a lot of work, like a lot of work. You know, I was the first um, Black woman to lead in the department at that particular level. And it was an AD level, right? And that was something that they had never experienced before. So, you know, for me, it was the RAs came to me, the staff members came to me, you know, people on campus was like, oh yeah, we got a black woman in housing who on the central staff, everything's going to be better now. And it was this feeling of people couldn't talk mm-hmm. to my boss. 
So they're going to come and talk to me. So the black, the black students was like, yes, we finally got a sister in there. So it all came with a cost. And I think for me, because I realized a long time ago about this idea of what it means to be the first. And I took a, I took a lot of time watching Hidden Figures. That was my jam um, during that time when that, uh, when I, cause I was uh, worked at the, the place and that movie came out. So I watched that on repeat and I realized for me, what it meant to be the first. And I just decided to be, like I said, I'm going to be the Beyonce, a student of Paris. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it right. Um, so for me, I tried to take that and turn it upside down. If you want me to be like, do all of the service on campus, it is going to serve me and it is going to serve my resume. Um, I got asked to sit on committees for like financial aid, where the, essentially the financial aid department had disbanded their scholarship committee that was internal and did a bunch of, had a bunch of external folks. So we allocated some crazy, like $2 million worth of scholarships over to, again, that's stuff to help me as a professional if I'm going to be in that role. And then I have my own awakening. I said, I ain't doing all of this no more. And I'm not. Um, so for me, I know that I am the token, but if you are going to have me as the only one, then guess what? It's going to be on my terms. Um, and it's going to be on my terms and I'm going to utilize my voice to advocate for black and brown people and then for me what I did especially at this one job I was known as having the blackest and or the most diverse staff because when I came more black folks came so I then promoted one of my supervisees I also hired more black people I hired more Hispanic folks I went out uh, for them and when I would go to TPE my the school where I was at was in the backwoods okay it was in the straight up backwoods but people are like oh yeah we coming there because we heard you was there and it became this piece of I be by way of me being there and by way of some of what the other black folks were doing on campus we was able to create a community within this very white space and we was able to recruit and bring other people and throughout that time again like I said I promoted quite a few people. I made sure folks got, you know, they could learn my job and they could do all the things that I did. And I didn't want to be the only black face. So I sought out people of color and I challenged people and that made people feel very, very uncomfortable. But I challenged people on their perspective and I tried to make sure, even if it was just on my side of the house, that we were going to have more folks of color. Um, one way or the other, we was gonna bring a black consultant. We was gonna bring we was gonna bring a Hispanic uh, person to do our keynote speak. We was gonna do something. Everybody, we was gonna try to put everybody on um, for people of color because I was seated in that seat. But see, mm. that, that's some powerful stuff, right? And and I think you you said so much that I feel like we have to totally unpack. And whether that is the socialization and the expectation that folks get when they're in roles, whether that is you're supposed to be going to lunch with these people and you're supposed to be sitting down and playing the game. And, you know, I remember having the conversation with someone saying you were always playing the game, whether you know it or not. But I think it's also important for us to think about the weight of being this, the one and the only, or the first or the highest. What's the emotional weight and what's the emotional taxation of that practice? 
Yeah. Um, I think that's a really important question that we have to underscore because we understand that high blood pressure and, you know, hypertension and all of these things are really high within black women. So mm-hmm. what are, what are your thoughts about that? Like, and, and, and how can one who is the one, the first and the only protect oneself from that emotional taxation and that bur- burden, which can lead to physical implications? So I'm going to speak off of my own personal experience. It almost took me out. Um, and when I say it almost took me out, working the 60 hours a week, doing all the things, trying to be everything to everybody. Um, and yet I didn't show up for myself. I was always um, putting up a fight and advocating, you know, really making sure everybody else's voice got heard. But I found myself, um, literally breaking out in hives. Um, I couldn't sleep. Um, even though I don't have any hair, I was losing hair follicles that I wasn't supposed to be losing. And I literally was, was panicking on so many levels. Right. So, um, on one hand, and y'all know I'm a scandal person. I probably should have said that I watched that show when Papa Pope says that, you know, you have to be twice as, you have to work twice as hard to get half of what non-minoritized folks get. That's there's some truth in that. There's a lot of truth in that. And for some of us, that has been ingrained in us since we were kids, right? That was that's something that you know you gotta learn how to play the game. But at some point, all of that takes a toll on you, and you get so fatigued that you don't know if you're coming or you're going. And again, your your mind keeps telling you, I got to keep pushing, I gotta keep fighting. But essentially, you can't do that. You hit a brick wall. And it was somewhere between my transition from the first place where I was tokenized to my second place where I was tokenized, where I realized, and this is what helped me, that I am more than my career. And within the profession, Mm -hmm. folks are like, people attach their identity to their job, right? People attach that and they can't separate the two. So I remember thinking like, I am, I do, I am good at student affairs, right? I love student affairs. It's my jam. However, I'm somebody's TT Tina. I also at the time was working on somebody's dissertation. I also at the time was somebody's best friend. I was somebody's sister. I was, you know, I was somebody's goddaughter. I was all these other things. Yet the one thing that, I was placing higher than anything else was my job, right? Because I had to do all of these things. And I can't remember which year I did it. I remember saying, I don't care what happened. And this is even, this was throughout my dissertation process. I said, I'm not going to give up once in a lifetime events. I'm not, I'm not going to miss important birthdays. I'm not going to miss important days. Outside of that, I'm going to give my dissertation time. I'm going to do my work thing. But I started to come, and I'm also going to go to all of the family functions that I can go to. I started to prioritize other things because the the burden of work had gotten to me. And I realized that kind of like how Indiari says, I'm not my hair, I am not my job. Um, And I see so many folks burn out about that because you know, and here's here's the thing about being tokenized, tokenized, because we didn't talk about this. See, 
we know we diversity hires. We know that, right? At least I do. I know that I'm a diversity mm-hmm. hire and I'm going to give mm-hmm. you, I'm going to make sure I'm the best diversity <laughs> hire. For, Come on. Okay? Yep, that, that's and I it. it. Four and not four. For you, okay? But <laughs> with that, right? Oftentimes we get little nice little cute titles dangled in front of us. So we doing all the work. But we getting all the titles and all the credit, right? So you feel like you have to live up to this because you the only you the only director out of the, all the directors, but you the senior director, right? You the only this, right? So we are essentially like, I have to do this, but we forget that you got life outside of work. Um, so for me, how I started to combat all of that stuff, and as, as though I could be top notch in my job, oh, I was gonna be a top notch friend. I was going to be a top-notch cousin. I was going to be a top-notch God. I was going to be a top-notch Christian. Because at one point, I was like, all right, God, I'm going to give you one Sunday a month. What? Mm. I'm giving God one Sunday a month, and he didn't bless me to get up every single day. And all of this foolishness, every single day, still Mm. kept me when I was tired. Still kept me when I could. I literally couldn't see. Still kept me when I would fall asleep. I would fall asleep on the couch, y'all. I didn't even know I was sleeping. I would wake up and be like, where am I? Still kept me through all of that, but I couldn't give him more than a Sunday. I could look, I wasn't even uh, opening up the Bible app and that's on your phone. I wasn't even touching it, right? But I always, when I, Lord, if you could just let me get this. At some point I said, well, you know what? This got to be a whole, like, this got to be some reciprocity up in this. I got to give God some of my time. Um, So for me, it, it was really about, I had to, I had to do my job and that was cute, but I also had to be me because I'm a, I'm a good extrovert. I had to get out, um, but I could not let this job define me and get me into that space. And that's when out of all of that craziness, when I was like, yeah, this stress is wearing me out. Um, I had to, I had to come out of that. And for my, for me, my stress on weight of it all, I had like a twitch in my face. I had all of these things. And the mm. minute I let all of that, that that stuff go, I don't have a twitch no more. I haven't twitched in years. I, I have not. Wow. I don't have a twitch no more. So you have to be able to know that. And one thing, if don't nobody listen to anything on this podcast, don't listen to me, don't listen to nobody else. There's no emeritus job, okay? There's not even a president for real America's job. Because, baby, if you die in your position, they're going to oh. post your job two weeks later. If they yeah. don't post it on the day that you die, they yeah. are not going to mm-hmm. never hire another you. You're going to be six feet under or, baby, they're going to cremate you. You're going to be good and gone from stress. And the people going to move on. They, they'll send the flowers to your family. They're going to send your nice little stuff, too but they're not going to hold your job. And my sister says it best. These jobs don't owe you nothing but a paycheck. Mm. And that is the hard part. You can bring your passion, but you don't let them take everything from you. You just don't. You don't. Um, you be amazing coworkers, but you don't. That Just because you're an amazing coworker, you do good, does not mean you turn your entire life over to a job. Mm. You said a whole word. <laughs> All of that. <laughs> All right, y'all. This was good. Thank y'all for coming. That's all. We're done. done. You know, because I I say the same thing. This listen, but now let these people take all of your time, your energy, and your effort, and then you want to friend me on Facebook and social media. I'm not your friend in real life. 
that part. All, all to tell your business when they friend you on Facebook. Because that's what's going to happen. Yeah, did you see we, Dr. Edwards said she voted twice? Mm-hmm. She's going to be in a meeting, too. Right. And that's when they're going to bring it up. Look, did, you, did you see? She vaccinated. Honey, she didn't. How she get her booster shot? Mind your business. Literally. <laughs> Mind your business. I told patient. somebody. I have told somebody that like they were like oh I noticed like you didn't friend me on Facebook because I'm not I'm I'm savage with it I will legitimately um delete I will delete it and and say no but um one person was like well you didn't friend me on Facebook and I was like yeah I I know and they were like but I know that you friended that person oh I I didn't know this is me I know why you friend them and not me I was like, uh, because they black. (laughs) Like, did you say that? Dead in their face. Because to a certain degree, what she said. I said what I said. 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 Mm -hmm. And I'm not like that. I mean, it's not even like that. I think part of it is people feel like they have a right to access to you. And that's what I heard you saying, right? That people feel like that they have a right to access. But what I also heard you say is that. When you were being tokenized, you took the master's tools and used it against them by creating community in predominantly white spaces. Come on, Y'all, listen. Come listen, on, let me say about something. My students are, they are still I, at one of my institutions. I've been gone and I miss them. I've been gone for almost four years. My grad students still call me when they're making life decisions. I just wanted to talk it out with somebody. Mm-hmm. somebody somebody they sent me a long message was like we don't know if you knew this or not but you was one of the supervisors that listened to us you were so fair you were so consistent and I miss you mm-hmm. um I miss you so much my uh another set of students was like my RAs was like you really did show up for us because Sometimes you have to teach people how to do things. And I'm not saying that I'm perfect by any means at all. But see, sometimes your leadership style will lend certain results, right? And for me, I knew that I always had a task at hand, but it it just, you just have to be able to do some things. And my approach to student affairs is much different. Is much different. So when I talk about students, that's because I don't talk to students. Mm-hmm. that's because I done brought students in the room I don't get mad when you bring students in the room you want to know why because this is my philosophy we work for institutions of higher education we work for the students if students were here none of us would have a job yeah we just wouldn't so you have to be able to take that approach with stuff um but that whole friend stuff like people like you said people feel like they are obligated to have access to you and you don't have to do that. I don't have to do anything. I just don't. I don't have to do that. And you got to ask. For me, it's like I always ask people, well, what what result is that going to get you? Like, what do you think? Like, why do you want to know more? It's kind of like I'm not that person who Googles a candidate before they come to campus because I don't want to know your business like that. I want to know what's on your resume, though, because that um, has been some tools that I think has been real real harmful to certain folks people get to google and stuff without context now you making um now you're making a decisions based off half of the answer just right. ask the people 
Ask the people why they got a, a, a gap on their uh, resume and be prepared for the response. Don't make, don't try to make your own understanding when the people are telling you what happened. Yeah. Listen to what they're saying. You know, I wish I had conversations like this before I took my first position in um, higher ed. But before I got into higher ed, I worked in a bank and I was the only Black person working in the bank. And, you mm-hmm. know, it was, I had, that used to be the only Black person because, you know, going to a PWI, the major that I was in, we only had two Black people. Um, so I was used to it, right? But it was different when we started bringing in more black people to work and you mm-hmm. know black people have certain conversations mm-hmm. come on now <laughs> and me and this black guy was having a conversation about the n-word and how i don't use it or i don't like to use it and i don't like to hear it etc and my white supervisor was standing next to us and nobody invited her into the conversation and she just said I don't understand why we why I can't use it. And I was like, what do you mean? She's like, because it means ignorant. First of all, <laughs> it means more than ignorant. And who invited you into this conversation? That was my first experience with white people, well, for her, a white woman that wasn't sensitive to the fact that, first of all, ain't nobody talking to you, but two, to come out your mouth and say that? And after I left there, I went into higher ed. And my first job was at a small PWI. And when you combine the the faculty and the staff, there are only two Black people that work at the institution. And I was one of them. And when I realized that, I started looking for new jobs. (laughs) But then when the Black students, because we talked about this earlier, when the Black students find out that there's another Black person, they come, they, you know, gravitate towards you. And that's what kept me. It's a signal that go out. Yeah, but the stress of it all, you know, dealing with all these white people. And some of them were good good to me. Don't get me wrong. But it took a toll on me because I still didn't Mm -hmm. know my identity as a black woman in this profession. Right. And Mm -hmm. I kept staying for the students. But when students come to you and say, Kelly, you're an amazing person. And as much as we want you to stay here with us, this this is not good for you. Mm-hmm. And I wow. left. That, yeah, yeah. And I left that summer. Uh, well, that that fall, right before the academic year. And so my last hoorah was RA training, and them kids, black and white, cried. Mm. But they were so happy for me. Mm-hmm. And at that moment, I told myself that would, I would not go another day without involving students in the work that I do moving forward. Because for a student to say, you're, you're bigger than this campus, though we need you here, somewhere else needs you even more and going to give you the respect that you deserve. It was mind-blowing for me. It was mind-blowing. Uh, so that's that's huge right um because students are like why don't you stay right and the analogy is is y'all know y'all graduated for years so y'all get to leave why can't i leave right that was my that was my approach but i think what oftentimes is also so that's the first piece of when you're valued and when you do the work right even though you're the only one 
Here's the second piece. When you know what's happening in the department and you can't tell the students. And when you leave all of the all of the stick um sticks that was holding the house up start to crumble. Yeah. And that was my experience. So my students, they gave me a good old party. They was like, yes, we happy for you. And I would always tell them, you know, because they would be like, why we can't do this? Mr. Tina, why we can't do this? Why we can't do this? Why we can't do this? And and they would know that something was wrong, which, you know, we can't tell them what's really happening, what's going on, because somebody going to feel like, you know, it's always we feel like we are hiding something from students, right? Um, because people don't know what happens in those administrative meetings. But for me, it was the day my students figured out who was trying to sabotage one of their communities. And it was one of the people who claims to support the community, who's also a minoritized individual, right? And they're like, wait a minute, what? What you mean? Like, it was like, we see it. And it was also a moment where um, the students was in training and they had all, uh, asked a previous supervisor, well, blah, 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 why we don't have this? Why we won't do that? And the super, my, my previous supervisor said, well, I don't know. Shatina always did that. Mm. And the students was like, I said, that person didn't say that. It was like, they did. Um, so students start to realize what you did in the impact and that goes not only to the tokenism piece but oftentimes how black folks carried away and i'm gonna I'm speak about black women to be specific black women we tend to get overworked and people attempt to treat us like they mules so we either are staying in positions because we gotta stay in a position because y'all know we gotta show the people that we, can, we have job security and we don't have to hold jobs down, even though we're in these spaces where we're tokenized and they, can, they could potentially be harmful for us. We figure out ways to survive throughout that. And oftentimes that's other duties as a sign. But one of the ways that I particularly have, like I guess I figured it out was, oh, I'm gonna make this to my advantage. You want yeah. me to join another committee? Oh, let me go ahead and do this. Because at this point, if I was on the committee, if I showed up to one meeting, it goes on my resume. Uh, for me, I show up, of course, to more than one meeting. But for me, I've learned how to leverage all of those things. Like I said, with the scholarship committee, that thing was a couple weeks. I got asked from somebody from enrollment management to do that. That shows that I can do enrollment management things. But it is, um, it's the students are, honestly why I would go to work any day um so when students are at that breaking point and when students start to feel that way the things that get to me and I always ask this question is this piece of our students deserve better they Mm -hmm. do with some of our leadership our students deserve better and for some of them the better is us so now it's like well you didn't went from better to I don't know what's going on um, so we gotta, as institutions, we have to seek out that better, right? So the better is why, actually, so why do you only have one minoritized person in the room? Well, you got a whole doggone campus full of minoritized students. Why you got one, one, you couldn't find nobody, like nothing. You can find nobody else to be in this position. Ask yourself why. Ask what, from a process standpoint, has pushed people out. Ask, like, 
interrogate why the black folks don't want to have lunch with you right and ask and inquire why these things are happening interrogate why you keep turning folks over every two doggone years yeah ask yourself what is happening in my space that will help you understand why you only keep getting one person right and it can't always be they keep leaving where's your exit interview at a lot of institutions don't even take them seriously. What are you doing from a human resources standpoint? Because see, here's the thing. We know that human resources is, it will serve whatever company, whatever institution that it has. But at the end of the day, nobody is, is above getting sued. And if you're not doing things that are right, especially with folks who appear to be the other work, appear to be um, minoritized or the only one, Baby, there's so many lawsuits that people over here sitting on because of how people are treated. And that is what some of this is coming to, um, is that people have done business as usual and business as usual is toxic. It's harmful and it contributes to why you only got one person of color. And I'm not even talking about like we haven't even engaged in a conversation about those who are situationally minoritized where you essentially, you have aligned yourself with being white adjacent. We ain't even got to that part of the conversation because that right there, that is harmful. That is just as harmful as anything else. Um, So, so yeah. Talk about some, so, so yeah, no, you're talking that talk. Right. (laughs) (laughs) But I want to go back to something you said, because I was like, yes. And I think the responsibility for institutions and oh my goodness, I am clear, if you are working at an institution that does not believe in clear exit interviews and really taking that information and doing something with it, then I'm with, I ain't even going to say the person's name, but you don't care about Black people. You do not care right. about Black people. You cannot tell me that. And, and, I, and I go so far as to say, this place is looking real plantation-like where everybody who's attending is Black and brown and everybody in power are primarily white. We mm-hmm. look in real plantation-ish because when you don't, when the students don't do what you want them to do, and then as a tokenized person, when you don't say the things that they want you to say, Mm. And all of a sudden you public enemy number one. Yeah. And and that's a problem. That is a real problem in this industry um, mm-hmm. that I see because I think about it like this. These people are our customers. They pay to go here. Y'all not passing out free educations like Tic Tacs. That's not happening every day. Right? So when we have people. We need to treat them a certain way because I, I stand by this all the time. Please don't ask me to ask people for no money. If you did not treat them well in the four, five, or six years, sometimes in my university's case, that they are here. If you didn't treat them well, then don't ask me to go ask them for no money because mm-hmm. black and brown people especially are not giving mm-hmm. you a dime. Ever again. Listen, you, you better come on, but come on in the room. You and I use my degree that you gave me because you you not like they're oh. so it's so problematic in in so many of these spaces and I think that oftentimes the burden goes to black women. Yeah. Yep. And, and they put the front. Doctor Jones, you said something leverage, and I find myself in an assessment. It's a it's a white woman space. 
and I said in every space that I'm in with the white women, <laughs> uh, this is a white woman's space. And I'm typically the mm-hmm. only black woman or the only black person um, that's there. And mm-hmm. had I not kind of grown from my experiences being tokenized and really learn how to leverage, I, I wouldn't be where I am today. But I've mm-hmm. recognized how I don't see myself as the token. I'm the disruptor for positive change now. Mm-hmm. And mm. how am I going to leverage this space as being the only Black woman or the only Black person to help my community, right? And so even though I look around and I don't see the representation, I can say now that I am the chair of the Commission of mm-hmm. Assessment and Evaluation for ACPA. And guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to get more brown and black people on the commission, on the directorate board, because the representation matters, right? And so mm-hmm. leveraging how how we work in these spaces when we're the only ones, um, it's kind of the, the move that we need to be taking. And it's not, and not seeing leverage as a bad thing. Right. And so, Mm -hmm. like you said, it's going on my resume. It's going to look good on my resume. And so kind of taking back ownership of yourself when you're in spaces and you're the only one. I love it. And, you know, and I would say, um, at least for me, I think that it is so key to validate one another, because when we are in these spaces and sometimes when we're the only one, we only reaching out. To, to sisters and some and sisters and brothers of color, right? Yeah. And trying to understand that space, like again, still being the only one, still being the first, right? Is really being able to talk through those things. Cause more likely than not, some of us who've been in the profession longer have gone through it, right? right. And with going through it, sometimes we've normalize these traumatic experiences and trying to listen first and then help get people out of that space um Mm -hmm. that is so very key and we have a lot of critical scholars and just folks who are just sick and tired of being sick and tired they've either left or they are being in in, they are individuals now who are trying to disrupt as you would say dr k Mm -hmm. the system and I think that that's that's where we're at, right? Um, you know, we it's it's not that black and brown people are mad. That's right. not it. We're not mad. We just want consistency, fair, and humanized experiences mm. at work. That part. And we want them absent of other folks' judgment, right? Mm. So you know, again, for me, it's just looking beyond and looking deeper. Cause this thing right here, this is a whole dissertation. I don't know who listens to us, but this is a whole dissertation, right? And it's a, it's a whole dissertation because we need to look at all of the experiences. And I would, I would tell you this cause I got friends who are lawyers, who are teachers, who are entrepreneurs, who are doctors in other types of sciences. And the fact of the matter is this tokenism happens at every single like a lot of different professions and it gets us to the point where people think that we don't have the capacity to lead in roles that's why you're the only one no I got questions why you ain't never tried to bring nobody else to the table when you are in communities and you're representing communities that may be 
um, vulnerable communities or at-risk communities or the fact that you just have gotten comfortable because that's what some of this is too. You got comfortable with the way things have operated as business as usual when in actual reality, um, a lot of your family's wealth and all of these other things and wealth have comes on the backs of slaves. So when we talk about higher education and we talk about, because you hit something with me, Dr. Edwards, when you talk about some of this feels very plantationist. I thought about my Amer- I, I thought about my um, higher ed history class, and a lot of these institutions were built by slaves. So it's not a secret. You have certain institutions that literally have, like, they still have a connection to that plantation root, but it may be named something different. So that's not what we are trying to imitate. That's not where we should be in 2021, but some of our some of our practices are very legalizing ish, uh, very legalistic. That legalistic, I'm probably waking a word too. Where people, you know, we're having these conversations about working from home. You know, people are like, "Well, you got to come in office." Most of the time, when people talk about they got to come in office, it's attached to how you feel. You mm-hmm. feel that you can't tell if a person is working or not, if you don't see them, right? We, the higher ed as a profession, when people said that higher ed was supposed to be brick and mortar, when the pandemic hit, no, not to, at least to my knowledge, and Dr. K, you my institutional person, you're my institutional person here. I didn't hear about a many of institutions that folded. I didn't hear about, you know, institutions who were tanked, right? I didn't hear that. So we showed that we can pivot, right? So now the conversations as we go back is, well, you got to come back. You got to come back. And I do get this idea and this understanding that the students are on campus. But why can't we just have a work from home day? Why can't we have floating work from home days throughout the month where we look at some type of cost savings, you know, for the institution? Why why can't we look at those things without saying, well, you got to come into work. You got to come into work. Here's the reality. The students want to break from us, too. Come on. Think of think about those things when we're making the decisions, right? We can do and everything doesn't have to be we're going to do this, period. We can do this. And if we embrace that and where we can have again, we could have our our, our CEO that's been here for 20 years and, and, and is, is white looking. And we can say and we have this person who's a person of color and that person can bring another person of color and that person can hire somebody else who's a person of color and we'll get to ourselves to where we know number one that many ends is not grammatical for the folks who are like yeah we can have that many grant that many ends but we can have so many people that we add along that we bring along the way into the journey so we won't have to keep being in these positions and asking people to do things that we know like we know is talk we do we are having tokenized experiences you know when you're the only one you got to show up to the potluck and you don't want to be in the potluck especially during covid we know you don't want to go to the after hours drink spots with them but you know you got to show up to them because they don't think that you are a person who they can they can trust because your trust is built upon oppressive practices which are uh, which are tied on into whether you like a person or not which also is tied into again knowing that these we know these things as folks who are tokenized let's actively work to not tokenize people to celebrate people to bring more people to the table that's how we fight this thing Mm. okay and (laughs) and with that we are going to we are going to like 
She was preaching while she, she said it. She said what needed to be said, and before she take it back, she'll add to it. Um, listen, listen, your church notes. <laughs> listen, so we just want this was a great conversation. Yes. We really want to thank um Dr. Jones for coming on and giving us a word. Come on. Season. Why are we so churchy? Why are we so because <laughs> I was gonna hit you with and I close. Okay. <laughs> All right. Ready for the benediction. <laughs> we do want to hit you with some clothes and questions though like we have some okay. hopefully i get these all right but you know uh dr k is here to keep me on track but we always ask our guests to um tell us what books any book recommendations any songs to add to our spotify playlist um let me tell you something i'm, I'm gonna go with the songs first and then i'm gonna go with the books because okay. i pretty much listen to the exact same thing every day um, and my music uh, is, my music taste is all over the place. Um, so I have a meditation playlist and I love it. So I'm going to tell y'all to look out for Tony Jones. Um, she has, um, it's called Affirmations from a Grown ASS Woman. Um, and that's, that's dope-tastic. Um, you have Tracy, not Tracy, Tony, uh, no, yeah, I was right. Tracy G, which talks about green juice. Um, and I like, I love listening to beautiful chorus. Um, they have good calm meditation, uh, music and my one song since we, we since we going to church, cause I have my, I got my gospel playlist, but the one song that has me crunk and ready to go, um, whenever I'm going somewhere is this called For My Good by the Judah Band? Um, and it talks about how everything is going to work out for my good. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's my hype song. And it's like real upbeat. Um, and if you like old school black Baptist church, you get that good old hand clapping. That double um, clap. <laughs> yes, yes. That's what it gives you. And you just be like, yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready to go. Um, so those are that's the music. And of course, you know, anything. Uh, by Anita Baker, you know, I love Meg Thee Stallion. I'm, shout out to her, she about to graduate. Um, so I love Meg Thee Stallion. I listen to an array of things. And my books, let me tell you about what I'm listening to because I'm about to start opening up books again. Um, it's been almost two years since I've been free um, <laughs> from <laughs> writing for real. Um, but my books that I am currently listening to is The Memo by Mindy Hartz. Ooh, which okay. yeah yep mm-hmm, the memo and then um i am listening to where's my other one that i'm actively listening to um the power of broke now it's got it's got some suspects moments i get what he's saying but i got the power of broke and i'm gonna be starting um while justice sleeps by the good sister stacy abrams well, I pre- okay, those are good. Those are- I appreciate um, your time and your wisdom. Yes. I appreciate your your reasonable service. That's church too. Come on, now. I appreciate your service though, right? <laughs> because I don't think that we as uh, student affairs practitioners um, or those who work in student affairs and like they people don't say thank you enough. Mm-hmm. Um, you can also thank me in in raises, but. That's neither here nor there. So that part, that part, that part. But we want to just, you know, thank thank you all for listening um, in on this conversation and join us in on this conversation. Um, Dr. K, you want to 
leave a yeah, question you know, or something? Because I know you. Sure, yeah, make sure you're following us on IG at Black Women Voices Podcast, Twitter and Facebook at Black Women Voices. Like, share, DM us. Um, leave some comments in the chat. Um, of course, leave some reviews where you can. Um, and just continue to tap in and stay tuned in with season four with our undertone of self-care. So once again, Dr. Jones, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Um, I forgot to share in all of my goodness. Y'all can follow me um, at SM Jones Consultant on Instagram or um, Facebook. And you can visit my website as well, smjonesconsultant.com. I respond to all of it. Um, So would love to stay connected with everyone and finish the conversation. Yeah, and what we're going to do is going to take all your contact information, Dr. Jones, and put it in the show notes so that people can see it when they um, tune in on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. So, peace and blessings. Until next time, we are Black Women Voices.